Yes, it's me, Mike Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. From a pot of tea to TT motorbikes. From a classic English breakfast to a full serving of classic cars. Bridge House Tea Rooms is the Northwest Premier Classic Car Meeting location for cars, bikes, tractors, and owners clubs. So no matter what your automotive appetite might be, visit Bridge House Farm Tea Rooms on their Facebook page or call John and Alicia on 07980-444-221 for show details and to reserve your own table and parking space. I'm sat with somebody today who, shall we say, is legendary in the world of rallying. One of the most, probably most famous co-drivers to just read out an abbreviated list of the people he sat alongside. Trevor Roberts, Peter Thompson, Cyril Bolton, Marcus Aristone, John Holdland, Seymour Lampinen, Tony Pons, Alan Gorton, Jimmy McRae, Henry Toivonen, Roger Clark, Malcolm Wilson, Dave Metcalf, Alistair McRae, David Llewellyn and Gary G. He's impressive to say in the least, but so is the man's history, so I'd love to welcome to the backseat driver, Ian Grinrod. Ian, welcome. Thank you. How did all this start? What made you want to get in a co-driver's seat? Uh, I was actually talked into it. Um, uh, I started serving my apprenticeship at Mullard's in Blackburn, uh, home of the 2300 Club. Yes. Uh, so it was a factory motor club. And I joined it particularly to get cheap oil and headlight bulbs and stuff like that. <laughs> what were you running at the time? Uh, a, a Vauxhall Viva HA. Right. And um, which used to rust in front of your eyes. <laughs> but nevertheless, that, that's why I joined the motor club, the 2300 club. And then uh, a, a fellow member of the club who was an apprentice with me, Ian Fine, was, uh, asked me if I would uh, navigate for him on a 12-car rally. Yeah. And you'd done this before? No, not at all. So we did a bit of practice in driving around the lanes, me trying to read and that. Yeah. And we did a 12-car rally, which I was a bit worried about in the, in the respect that I had always suffered from travel sickness. Yeah. Uh, so we did... Because just putting in, it's one of those things. I've tried cold driving and I can't get along with looking down. No. I have to look out windscreen. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. Anyway, we did this 12-car rally, and I was violently ill. Yeah. But nevertheless, I persevered, and uh, we finished that, and, and then I did two or three more, and, and gradually, well, I thought to myself, well, I can do this. I can re- read these maps. Yeah. So, you know, I continued and eventually moved into doing all-night road rallies, and it, everything just moved on from there. Yeah. Uh, but when you mentioned not be able to look down all the time. I can't look down all the time now. Right, all right. I couldn't do, I couldn't do a plot and bash event. Yeah. 
wear your heads down all the time, I'd be ill. Yeah. And people say, how, how, how can you read a map or how can you read Pace Norse? But your eyes are going up and down all the time. Yeah. So if I'm playing with Pace Norse, it's like just slide your thumb down and whatever, so you know where you're up You know where you are. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but you're, you're constantly looking at the notes and looking, you know, quickly through the screen. Yeah. So, I mean, from there, how did, shall we say, you move on to, well, more or less it, doing it as a profession? Because you would have had to start somewhere. Somebody would have noticed your abilities. It, that started from, um, uh, I was, uh, excuse me, I was friendly with Cyril Bolton. Yeah. Through me navigating for Trevor Roberts. Yeah. We're all in the mini sport of Padium. Yeah. Rally team. And then, uh, Cyril was second, I think, second in the Morton News Rally Championship yeah. in 1976. Because, I mean, just what it did, the Morton News launched a lot of careers. Oh, it did, it? yeah. Lost, like, Tony Pond and Russell Brooks and so on, all, all started yeah. in that. So in 76, Cyril was second, and that British Leyland has obviously been monitoring this because it's one of their products, yeah. even though it wasn't their car. And, and as a bit of a thank you to Cyril, they wanted a mini out on the British Open Rally Championship. Yeah. Stage, you know, stages like the Scottish and the yeah. Welsh and so on. So they gave him a 1275 GT racing car, a track car it was, and it, Cyril converted that to a rally car. Yeah, that would be the clubman, wouldn't it? Then? It was a clubman, yeah, that's right. And... Uh, all the navig- British Railway got fed up paying John Cooper royalties on the names. Probably. They, they called them, from, they called them GTs. GTs, yeah. They, uh, they, uh, they, they gave him this car and converted it. And all the navigators that had been with him on the road rallies, the likes of Paul White, for example, and Nigel Rabin and so on, they didn't want to go in, into the stages. Hmm. Was he a bit quick? No, it wasn't that. They, they, I think because it was a Group One car, basically a standard yeah. car. I think they they felt like they'd be belittling themselves to to go in that. All right, car weren't car so, weren't posh enough. No, it wasn't. It wasn't posh enough. No, <laughs> and obviously, uh, with it being standard, it wasn't going to be quick. Yeah, it, you know, in the great scheme of things. So I think I was probably twelfth choice. <laughs> and I eventually, I eventually went went with Cyril. In 77, on the British Open Championship in 1977. At the end of that year, because because British Leyland had a, had a connection with the car, yeah. they obviously were watching what was going on all the time, and then I got a phone call. Uh, it was a, just November time, end of October, 77, from John Davenport, the team manager of British Leyland, yeah. asking me if I would be interested in co-driving for Marco Sorry, still on the RSA. Right. Which is what what I did. Yeah. What was that in? That was in a, a sixteen valve TI seven. Right. Uh, the white ones. So I did that, and then the following year, I was with Cyril again, and then at the end of that year, seventy eight, I got another phone call from John Davenport. Mm. Would, would I be interested in co-driving for John Hogman? Yeah. In a TI seven V eight then. Right. Well, they're notoriously. Not good old special stages, apart from Tom. I can go notoriously fast. Yeah, notoriously fast. Great on tarmac, not so good on gravel. Yeah. But there you go. But John John was a brilliant guy, and he, uh, he'd obviously driven factory Skodas up to then. Yeah. But he'd never driven anything more powerful than a 
factory scored it. Yeah. And he'd never driven a right-hand drive rally car. Right. Because back then it would be scored as rear engines and, yeah. sm and small engines. And small engines, yeah, that's right. And uh, so I, we finished 12th. I thought that was a, a really good good result for you. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was a lovely guy to, to co-drive for. And then what happened after that? So that was 78. Ah, right. So during the course of those two RAC rallies, mm. I got to know people like Tony Pond. Yeah. And at the end of 78, Tony left British Lail and went to Talbot. Yeah. To drive the Sunbeam Lotus. And asked if I'd co-drive for him. Mm. But Des O'Dell, the team manager, had never heard of me. Yeah. So he wouldn't let Tony take me as co-driver. Yeah. So he had a succession of co-drivers for basically the first three quarters of the year in yep. 79. And... There were a lot of mistakes being made and so on. Eventually, at the end, toward the end of 79, September, uh, Des O'Dell relented and let, let, let Tony for to take me. Yeah. So I, I did the Manx Rally San Remo and RAC with him. Yep. And did a far better job than them that went before it. Well, I was thus not for me to say that. Well, San Remo particularly. Well, Manx we were leading the Manx. And, and the oil pump broke. So yeah. That was us out. But San Remo, we finished fourth against, you know. I mean, I've never done the San Remo, but I have driven the stages of the San Remo. They are tarmac and they are spectacular. Well, and, in those days, it was, it was, the first leg was tarmac. Yeah. Behind, in the mountains behind San Remo. And then we made our way on tarmac stages towards Pisa. Yeah. Then there was a big service where all the suspension was changed to gravel. Yeah. There was a, a load of stages on gravel between Pisa all the way across Tuscany and Umbria to San, uh, where did it, where was the, San Marino. Oh yeah. Which was where the overnight hole was. Then coming back from there, another load of gravel stages from through Umbria and Tuscany going yeah. the other way. And then another big suspension change, and then tarmac stages back towards San Remo. Yeah. Then another an overnight halt. Well, uh, yeah, an overnight halt, and a, most of the next day, and then the last leg was the following night in the dark of the tarmac stages at the back of San Remo. Yeah. It was a really long rally. Yeah. I think it was seventy-six stages. Stroll. Many having said that, the other you won't be able to really pay attention. We'd have been in some very nice scenery, very nice country. Oh, absolutely. Well, you could see all that when you did the recce. I mean, yeah. we were recce for the best part of three weeks. Yeah. So you see it all then, you know. And of course, there's the lure of the food and the wine and everything. Yeah, well, very nice. yeah, well, that's that's another story. I mean, <laughs> then, then I thought spaghetti came out of a yellow and red tin. Yeah, I written on the food. <laughs> <laughs> and if you brought the right one, you could spell words we eat. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, I, I love Italian food now and I love Italy. It's just, just as a bit of side, I mean, when I was last there, I was actually on holiday. I dined in the restaurant frequented by Gilles Panizzi. All right. And you went in, he, he didn't hold it or anything, but he might as well have done. The walls were just solid with pictures of him driving rally cars. Yeah. And after you dined there, you understood why he, why he liked it. That's a fantastic right. place. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean. You'd then Seymour Lampenden. That was a Welsh rally I did with Seymour, um, only because uh, his regular co-driver at the time was Fred Gallagher. Oh, yeah. And Fred was, uh, I think he'd done a, I think it was an Ulster rally or something with, uh, in a chequered flag TI-7. Yeah. 
uh, and they had an accident in Ireland and he Fred, Fred, Fred hurt himself. I can't remember whether he broke his leg or something like that it was. Yeah. So he couldn't do this Welsh rally with Seymour. That's why I finished up with Seymour. Yeah. So we, what was it like? Well, Seymour, Seymour's a, a really nice bloke. Um, he, he was a hell of a rally driver in, in his time, of yeah. course. But he'd suffered from polio as a child. Yeah. So he couldn't walk very far and had a very pronounced limp. Yeah. And he used to he used to use like tennis balls to yeah, squeeze in his hands to strengthen strengthen his hands and his arms. And uh, on that particular Welsh rally, I think we've probably set a record there where we punctured the spare wheel that was still in the boot. <laughs> that, that came about at the end of the end of a, a stage in Dovey. And we'd come to the end of the stage and there was a bit of a problem going on with the clocks and whatever it was. And there was a collection of cars there. Yeah. And uh, we'd stopped in the queue. And uh, Seymour, I was just about to get out of the car. I was halfway out of the car and see Seymour. We could hear this next car coming full chat, yeah. which was Henry Tyvon in an escort. And he must not have seen where the flying finish was or anything. And yeah. he came hurtling down the road. He's still flying. Still flying. And went straight in the back of the TR. Yeah. With me just about to get out of it, Seymour leant across, grabbed the collar of my overalls and pulled me back in. Yeah. When he hit the TR, we went straight past. Roger Clark was parked just slightly to, in front of us. Yeah. To the right. We went straight past it. <laughs> it, was a, it was quite quite an impact. Oh, you should really laugh, but it's one of the things. We, yeah. And it shoved, it shoved the back of the TR in that far. It punctured the spare wheel. Yeah. <laughs> we were able to carry on. Oh, we carried on, yeah. Right. Yeah, we carried on. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah. like you with Tony Pond, I mean, Mr. Pond was known for being quite fast behind the wheel. Yeah. Was he all right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 And, of course, you mentioned the one, the only, Henry Tovenham. Yeah. Now, I know somebody else who once went out, the, whilst he was driving for uh, the Open team. Right. He went out with him. He was one of the mechanics, and he went out with Tovenham. And he said, he said, it's an experience you'll never forget. He said, it's probably an experience you'll never relive. He said he was staggeringly fast. He was. He was staggeringly fast. And and he would undoubtedly, obviously, he would have won the World Championship a number of times. Yeah. If, if he'd have, you know, survived that terrible accident in Corsica. Yeah. But I mean... Before we come back to something like, I mean, it's like core control. I dare say, having sat in the co-driver's seat, you'll very quickly be able to work out whether they can drive or not. You can tell within a mile. Yeah. If you're sat next to somebody who's trying to drive fast. Yeah. You can tell within a mile, probably in less than a mile, whether they can drive or they can't drive. Yeah. I mean, I've been with people who were really quick. Yeah. On road rallies, but invariably can't drive more than a mile. Before they crash, <laughs> you know, I've seen that lots of times. Yeah, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You can tell straight away. Yeah, and uh, I, I'd said somebody had one asked me who, who, who the fastest drivers have been with. Well, Henry's one of those without a shadow of doubt. Yeah, and then even even I mean, what inspires when you're with them that the drive so fast? What inspires you not being funny to stay in the car with them? Because it doesn't feel dangerous, right? If you, suddenly, I mean, as a, from a car driver's point of view, if, if you sat in a car and you felt dangerous, you'd stop rallying. Yep. You couldn't carry on if you thought it was dangerous. And I've sat in with people. Dave Metcalf's a prime example in that Nova. 
people have said just that. Just putting they, in Dave Metcalf made an overdo thing which nobody thought he could absolutely, do. Absolutely, yeah. And people have said, looking from the outside, it looked like an accident looking for somewhere to happen. Yeah. Inside, it didn't feel that at all, which is <laughs> it's very odd, isn't it? It felt all under control to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then, of course, I would say your most famous partnership was Jimmy McRae. I mean, that lasted quite a little while, didn't it? Uh, yeah. How, how did that come about? Well, Jim, Jim had previously been driving Vauxhalls for DTV yeah. in 1980, up to 1980. And uh, his co-driver was Mike Nicholson, who uh, had started working for Vauxhall. Yeah. So when Jim moved to Opel, Mike really felt he had to stay with Vauxhall. Obviously. Yeah. So Jim had to look for somebody. I mean, technically, they, what you might call them the same thing, Opel and Vauxhall. They are. They, they were run... In 81, when I first went with Jim, they were run as two separate entities. Yep. So there was dealer Opel team and dealer team Vauxhall. Yeah. But then after that, it became G GM dealer sport. Where yeah. It, it was all under the same umbrella. Because about then you'd get the... Um, you'd have the Escolas and the Mantas and that from Vauxhall, it'd be the Chevettes. The Chevettes, yeah. The, we, had the, we had the Escona in 81, 82 and the beginning of 83. Yeah. And then Mantas after that. Yeah. Uh, the Manta made its debut on the Welsh in 83. Yeah. Uh, well, it made its debut on two different rallies, uh, the Welsh in 83 and the same weekend, the Tour de Course. Yeah. So, I mean, it carried on with Jimmy McRae. I mean, I conclude you you developed a good partnership together. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 81, 82, 83, I was with Jim. 84, I was with Henry in the Porsche. Yeah. Uh, and my co-drove, Mike Nicholson co-drove for Jim in 84. Yeah. And then 85, I went back with Jim, 85, 86, 87. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I've done the occasional small type of historic event with Jim. Yeah. Seen, you know, very... Because you've also called Drew Peralistra, haven't you? I'm Colin. I'm Colin. I mean, I interviewed Malcolm Wilson a few months ago and he was saying, he said there was no delight Colin McRae. He said, contrary to what you might have seen when you watched him drive, he said the man's mechanical abilities and knowledge were incredible. Absolutely, they were. And... I only did one rally with Colin, which he was in his, I think he was 17 at the time. Yeah. Uh, in his Sunbeam TI. And yeah. it was Jim, Jimmy that said, would I sit with Colin and see if he's any good? <laughs> so I thought, okay then. So we did the Snowman rally and it, that certainly lived up to his name because it wasn't, there was a lot of snow. Yeah. Based up in Inverness. Because after, at times you watched Colin McRae and times he reminded you a little bit of Vatanen. That he'd get to the end and probably went in staggering fashion. Rick Park, he took a tree or a dry store wall somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they got a lot of criticism at the time, did Colin, but of course, everybody just used to point the finger at Harry and say, well, hang on a minute. Remember what Harry used to be like yeah. and look what he did. So, And I suppose we call in an Alistair. I think Jimmy, as, Jimmy McRae as a father, the risk to a degree, there's, they've got to live up to me, don't they? I think it's a difficult thing as well. Yeah. Because. Like Damon L and Graville, Damon had to live up to his dad. Yeah. And you get the scenario now with young Max McRae, Alistair's son. Yeah. He has to live up to his father, his uncle. Yeah. 
And his grandfather. grandfather. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's triple bad. Yeah. Or triple difficult, I should say. But uh, when I got in the car with Colin, so his 17-year-old gets in the car at the start of the snowman, I said to him, right, I said, don't try and impress me. Mm. I said, I've been impressed by so many great drivers, yep. better drivers than you will ever be. Yes. <laughs> that came back to bite me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, Colin was, at that age, I'd been with Henry then, yeah. then. At that age, if I'd have shut the eyes sat next to Colin, mm. as I thought I was sat next to Henry. Yeah. Because he just had, it's, people say, what, what is it that makes them like that? It's different to any other drivers. Uh, the three fastest people have all been the same if you sat next to them, and that was Henry, Colin, and Dave Metcalf. Yeah. They're the three fastest, I would have said. I would say, personally speaking, it's, it's like when you not be running when you watch Jackie Stewart drive. It's an inane sense of balance and feel. Because if you watch Jackie Stewart drive or watch the others, they don't physically look to put a knot of everything. No, they're not throttling the car and strangling it. The hands are on the wheel and moving about very quickly. But there's no, they're not like knuckling. No, no. I mean, one of my favourite in going to a race. So it's a scenario. The one, the one in car film I saw once that really impressed me was Jim Clark on the old Nurburgring. Yep. And I mean, it just looked like we're out for a Sunday drive. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, don't forget there were no safety barriers, nothing. Nope. And Which then, was the regrettable demise of a lot of them. Well, because I've, when they came off, there was an oak tree waiting for Yeah, them. well, that's right. But I mean, you see, rallying, you haven't got, you haven't got, I haven't got barriers in the <laughs> I mean, I remember in Australia, the, the trees are massive. Yeah. And they're right at the side of the road. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a bit of a daunting prospect. It's like they say, it's not the crutch that kills, it's, or injures, it's this sudden halt. Well, yeah, that's, that's come, that, that's absolutely the case. I mean, Michael Parks, a good, good example of that on the RAC. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, 80 mile an hour to nothing in no distance. Yeah. When you go hit a tree side. In about a second yeah. as such. Yeah, that's it. I absolutely. Have you ever had to tell a driver, no matter how good they are, just slow down a little bit? I, don't I suppose it's a peculiar thing on a rally, because if you slow down, you're going to be slower, but it's a, it's a case of like, just be careful here. Uh, well, oh yeah, you can say that. I don't think I've ever said anybody to tell anybody to slow down. Yeah. Um, usually you're in a scenario, if you're lucky enough to have a lead on a rally and, and you feel like, You've, you've got a decent lead. Yeah. It'd be silly to chuck it away. Yep. And, and then something happens where you think, well, he's just, just cool it a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but you're looking after your lead, of course. Yeah. But I always felt, for example, Jim, Jim McRae was a past master at tactical driving. Yeah. He knew how slow to go. That's the difference. I mean, I once said that somebody once asked me about me. I said, I used to drive percentages. Yeah. I said, if you weren't out, you weren't going to catch the local front and the guy behind you wasn't going to catch you, knock about 500 RPM off. Yeah. Uh, be a bit kinder to the car. Yeah. Because. You see, yeah, well, that's, it, that's another one. You see, with Jim, Jim was really, really good, kind to the car. Hmm. And, and you had to be. Yeah. I mean, th these modern ones now, they, when we're talking about the likes of San Remo, the RSEs in those days, they, 
with these modern cars, wouldn't be able to cope with it because you had to you had to look after the car, yeah, as well as trying to set decent times. Yeah, I'll not be funny. The the, the rallies were longer. Well, they were much longer. I mean, um, no disrespect to them, I still now refer to it. They reckon they're going to get a European Rally Championship event back, but I still call it the rally of a little bit of South Wales. Yeah, compared to what was the Lombard RAC, which was like four or five days and covered the entire country. Yeah, I know. That's right. Yeah. Oh, we were looking somewhere, where some discussion came up the other day, and I was looking at Corsica in 81, the route. And I did that with Tony Pond. Yeah. And uh, there was, I think there was 50-odd stages, and five of them were over 80 kilometres long. Yeah. And in the Datsun, we had to have a pit stop in the middle of those stages for tyres and petrol. Because the other thing was with the course with uh, the Corsica rally, the number of corners. I can watch remember an interview with Brian Culture, the late great Culture, and he said, he said there's a six kilometre stage. He said, and up to press. He said, I think I changed gear at least five hundred times. Yeah, I've never done a rally with as many personal books in my life <laughs> because. Because, you know, you, you imagine a stage of 80, 80 kilometres long, you've got, you've used half a pace not book up. Yep. Uh, it, and it's, it's, yeah. it's a case to say to a driver, can you stop him until he next book? It's, it's <laughs> so many corners. Yeah. Real. I mean, I've never been, it's one of my ambitions to go to Corsica and maybe take part in this story. Is it, it really is as hard as they say it is? It is, yeah. Yeah. It is hard. Well, I conclude when you finish it, there's a sense of achievement. There certainly was that year in 81, because uh, Tony and I were in a Datsun GT, yeah. which is like a little taxi. Yeah. And uh, we were on Dunlop cross-ply slicks. Everybody else is on Michelin radials by then. All the, all the opposition were in, well, a Stratus one. Yeah. And a Porsche was second, I think. And Freckland was in the Lord of Sunday. He could have been second, but that's the sort of car you're up against. And yeah. we were in this Datsun and we finished third. Yeah. And I, I mean, nobody expected that, that result, but that was down to Tony. He, he was so conscientious, refing and getting everything right on yeah. the personals and stuff. And, uh, yeah, that, it came to fruition that that's what really got us the third place. I mean, I once saw, and I can't remember, it was a French driver. I don't know whether it was Jean-Claude Androuet or Frank Willin or whoever. And until the last day, it had been hot, dry and sunny. And he was driving a Renault 5 Maxi Turbo, right. rear-wheel drive, rear engine on mid-end. Up at Quattro's and the other big 4x4s couldn't touch him. Yeah. And it rained on the last day and the benefit of 4x4 took over. Yeah. And I think a Quattro one. But it was proof that until then, in the right conditions, such like as the Quattro's, were maybe not quite as good as everybody thought they were. No. I'm not saying they were a bad car, because when you look at uh, such as uh, Michel Mouton, people like that, I mean, they made them dance. I think uh, when they first arrived on the scene, nobody could hold a candle to a long gravel. Yeah. But... They did suffer on tarmac with transmission problems. Yeah, because I think it was the stray because there was no... The tarmac doesn't allow the wheels to spin as much, does no, it? I think. I mean, that's that's the, the, the problem they had initially anyway. And, uh, but like you say, if, you, if the roads dry on tarmac and that, you, you, most people could, could, uh, all, you know, could be up there with them. Yeah. 
but it was a bit demoralizing on gravel. I mean, I remember sitting in the car with Jim at the start of a stage and Anna was in the quattro in front of us or a stig, yeah. one of the two. There's a long straight up a hill on the, in this forest from the start line. Yeah. And we timed it from him setting off to going out. Our view at the first yep. corner at the end of this hill is quite a long way. And then we timed us. Yeah. And I mean, it was four seconds quicker. And that was like the first, first 300 yards. Because <laughs> we, we like set off and wheels would be spinning on the star line. Yeah. So that was demoralizing. And a, a, a Scottish rally, Hanu, uh, broke the steering on the first stage in Strathclyde Park. And they had to reverse out the stage. Yeah. And, and lost a lot of time. And uh, Jim and I were leading all the rally, and Annie was catching and catching and catching. And we yeah. worked out it, it passes three stages from the end. Of yeah. And he did. Just by, <laughs> just by the fact that it had got superior grip on gravel. Yeah. I mean, the other driver you were with is the legendary Roger Clark. Were you with him for what? No. Um, I only went with Roger on one rally, which was the RAC in 84. Uh, but I, I also did a course car with him on the Manx rally in 84. Yeah. But uh, to do the RAC was brilliant. It would, I mean, you, you sit next to him, a guy that was your hero that you read about all the time. You yeah. reading about him in, when he was in the Cossack escort and yeah. all of that even. For men's airspray. Did they still make airspray? No, 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 no idea. <laughs> I don't need it. We don't say neither of them did. But uh, yeah, I mean, to sit next to Roger on that was just wonderful. Yeah. It was, it, what a great bloke he was. He was, honestly. Of all the rallies you've done, of which there have been a considerable number, which was the favourite as such? Which did you look forward to going back to? Well, worldwide, I would have said. Australia or New Zealand. Yeah. I just loved both of those countries. Yeah. And in this country, if I was given the chance to do, to wind the clock back, I'd love to do a proper circuit of Ireland again. Yeah. Where it is a circuit of Ireland, not. All the way around me, yeah. not a little bit of it. Yeah. There were, there were tremendous events though. Yeah. They were. Uh, the, you know, to win, to win a circuit, Jim, Jim won the circuit five times. Yeah. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be with him for three of those. Yeah. But they were, they were really, really tough events. Yeah. Really tough. That was, they were, that circuit of Ireland in those days was equivalent to any world championship rally at the time. Yeah. For difficulty and, and you know, it was uh, a, a real achievement if you, yeah. if you could win that. Uh, although you were only the passenger in them as such, which cars did you enjoy the most? Six or four. Six or four. The I've been a passenger in one, and I must confess, I wasn't exactly upset when I got back out. Well, we only had the six or four one year, of course, before Group B was banned. Yeah. So Jim and I were in the roughly six or four. And the fact of uh, it wasn't the quickest or the most successful Group B car at the yeah. time. Because you had the Peugeot T16 and the Lancia Delta S4. Yeah. But nevertheless, it was a Group B car and it sounded well and it, I loved it. Yeah. The first time I went in, it was a, a test before the Mintex Rally or whatever you called it then, National Breakdown. And yeah. It was a test at Gaydon 
I couldn't believe Jim. Jim hit the brakes. I couldn't believe how good the brakes were. Yeah, I thought we went. It was in the dark. This test as well. <laughs> we went over this crest, and I thought there's a T junction. We're not going to make it. Yeah, we just hit the brakes, turned in, and off he went. It was tremendous. I know I spoke big blue of all of them and rally them, and the one thing I experienced from the co-driver seat is the speed at which they change direction. Yeah, yeah, that's right. In fact, they seemed to change direction quicker than the human brain could could do it. Well, of course, nowadays with modern WRC cars, everything's moved on so much that they're probably not as powerful as Group B cars, but they're faster because yeah. the brakes are better even. The suspension's much better now. That all makes a big difference. And they change direction with the blink of an eye. Mm. A lot of the late great Colin McRae, they seem to spend most of their time airborne. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be a losing time when you've got all four wheels at that level. <laughs> I mean, what's your opinion of modern rallying? Because um, the reason I ask is, if you look at the TV coverage of it, there's only about five cars taking part, which is a shame because none of the lesser categories or no, they're not upcoming drivers don't get the coverage. There's, there's, two, there's two parts of that question. Um, uh, what I think about modern rallies, well, the drivers can certainly drive. Yeah. We're talking about the top end now. Yeah. You can't deny, you, you, they can only do what's put in front of them. Yeah. So, so for people to say, oh, it's easy for him, it's, you know, folks said, oh, Sebastian Lauber won the world championship so many times. Yeah. When you compare him that to Hanu Mikkola, Bjorn Valdivar mm. and all that, the rallies were much longer then. Yeah. But and the that, technology was different. And the technology was different, but that is not to, to, to detract from modern day drivers yeah. because they still have to drive the, the rallies put in front of them, however long it is, and they have to drive that rally and, yeah. they, and they're fast, they're fast drivers. So that, you know, they're as good as anybody. Yeah. The other side of the question is the coverage, TV coverage. Mm. I sometimes put the world championship rally on the telly. Yeah. Invariably, I switch it off halfway through. It's all caught with it because the production of it is rubbish. Mm. I don't want to see a car coming into the stop line and somebody interviewing the, the driver at the stop line. That's yeah. not what I want to see. No. I want to see in car stuff on the stages. There is some of that, but not, yeah. not enough. And then when there is in car stuff, there's a, a guy commentating who I shan't name. And you can't stop talking. So yeah. when, when you try to listen to the car driver reading the notes, which is what I want to hear, yep. he's talking over it. Yep. Well, all that, these people need to go and look at the films of the 80s and 90s that Barry Inscliffe made. Yep. And that's how to make a rally film. That's how to film rallies. Not, not this. It's rubbish, this. No, this is fair. I'll probably get dragged over the course with it, but there's a female presenter as well who could probably do better uh, presenting a different topic. Well, I'm not going to comment <laughs> on that. But, but I mean, there are some excellent women presenters out there who know this stuff. Regrettably, rally seems to attract them that don't. Yeah. And if you look back in time, um, when, when Barry Inscliffe, for example, did the TV coverage, they used to have a professional front in the program, yeah. the likes of which was David Vine or Steve mm. Ryder. Yeah. Neither of them had uh, any experience of rallying, but they were given a script that was written by a rally journalist. Yeah. And when they came on and talked about stuff, it would appear that they knew everything about it. Yeah. 
and they weren't cynical, they weren't sarcastic about drivers. This guy that commentates now, you'd think he were a world championship rally driver. Yeah. He's so cynical about it, stuff. It's probably only the nearest he's got to it, he's actually standing next to one. Aye, absolutely, and it's, it's just poor. And the other thing is, that they're wondering why people don't watch. Well, all right, so it's on what used to be BT Sport, it's yeah. TNT Sport now. So anybody with a skybox watching TNT Sport, you can put a record, record this series. Yeah. But you can't with a rallying because one night it's on TNT 1, yeah. and the next night it's on TNT 2, and next night it's on TNT 3. Why, so don't, they keep, know, why don't they keep it on the same channel? Yeah. It's poor. And I mean, whoever's in charge of all that production, well, I'm sorry that they should be fired off. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to be Einstein to work out no. that it's better off if it's on one channel. Yeah, very true. Do you do much now? Is there anything you do? That, you, you do nice little quiet navigation rallies. Yeah. Don't evolve speed. No, I don't. Uh, the last proper event I did was at Knockville last July with Alistair, which was a, a, a McRae Sturgis event. Yeah. With invited drivers there as well as, you know, all the club guys from Scotland. It was a right good day. And I did it with Alistair in a Iron Die WRC yeah. back, back in the day when Alistair drove one on the World Championship. And uh, we, we did that and retired. We retired on the last stage about 200 metres from the flame yeah. finish. Yeah. So we're getting out of the car and uh, it was on a slight uphill. It was actually on the pit straight going the wrong way. Not yeah. Well. And... Uh, Somebody at the side of the road, at the side of the stage, spectator, he said, are you not going to push it? <laughs> I said, get a grip. I said, I'm 72. <laughs> well, I've it for The only thing I regret was, I said to Alistair, actually, I said, that's the last time I'll ever sit in a proper rally car and a proper rally. Yeah. You, you get to the... I haven't done anything for a while before that, but I only did that because Alistair, and yeah. between Alistair and Jim, they wanted me to go to this event and had to do it with Alistair. But... Uh, I should have, what I should have done, the, given the fact that it stopped where it did stop mm. at the end of the last, just at the end of the last stage, I should have done what Lewis Moyer did on the RSE and got out and thrown me across. Throw your helmet through back with the <laughs> I really regret not doing that. <laughs> Ian Greenrod, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. You're very welcome. Backseat Driver podcast is brought to you in association with Tim Nash and the Lombard Rally Festival, the UK's premier classic rally demonstrations. From the awesome Group B cars to cars from the golden era of rallying, go to the Lombard Rally Bath social media for dates and venues. Rarely beaten on price, never beaten on service. Whether it's cars, bikes or commercials, Hoddy Tyres are the best in the business. And when it comes to tyre expertise and advice to supplying the correct tyres for your vehicle's specific requirements, nobody comes close to David Lakin and the Hoddy Tyres team. So give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytyres.co.uk. 